0: This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Handy. There's um, two things I want to get done this week in this uh, in this ad, and that is I want you to use Handy. I also want to gain Twitter followers. My Twitter is at the Real Ask J. Not a great Twitter handle, I know, but uh, that's what it is. I'm gonna. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read some Handy copy, and then I'm gonna read a tweet of mine, and uh, you know maybe that'll. Leads you to do both. So Handy is a website where you can book top-rated home cleaners and handymen. friendly, vetted professionals at your doorstep. Just pick a time, and we'll do the rest. Uh, my tweet: I'm having problems with the second act of my screen pro- screenplay. Oh, Jesus Christ, I'm getting a little nervous. You know, I don't, I don't like reading my tweets. But here we go. I'm having problems with the second act of my screenplay. The problem is, I wrote the movie second act. Now, that's a reference to the the Jennifer Lopez movie. You know, nothing against the filmmakers, just I think it looks kind of bad. Uh, That got one like on Twitter. So, Handy. Experienced and background check professionals, easy online payment rescheduling, affordable and flexible cleaning plans. They have it all. Um, Here's another tweet. I'm a writer, so, uh, yeah, I Google some pretty weird stuff. In case anybody's monitoring me, I sporadically Google... I'm a writer doing research for a project. Also, I'm responsible for every murder in Kansas City since 1991. Um, another tweet there. Uh, kind of a long one, not definitely not 140 characters, but you know, Twitter's not 280, of course. So, uh, I wasn't doing research for a project, <laughs> and I guess I also didn't murder anybody. So uh two two retweets. One of them was the on comedy writing account. That's how I control that, so that doesn't really count. So really one to retweet in uh at eight likes. Um request your favorite professionals. Every cleaning is insured, cleaning supplies included. They also do furniture assembly, interior painting, hanging pictures and shelves, TV mounting, plumbing, electrical handyman, and more. And I guess one more tweet here um so in kind of a um an asterisk thing you know as it suggests this isn't this is like preamble um okay for this joke to work you have to know the television show adam ruins everything and you have to pretend that adam conover is having gay sex with me so that's the end of the preamble and then it says adam ruined my ass um uh, eight likes uh, yeah, not really proud of that one. <sighs> so, book a cleaner today and save by going to boardwalkaudio.com/handy. That's boardwalkaudio.com/handy. Follow me on Twitter.
1: This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast
0: on comedy writing. On comedy writing. <laughs> Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast of the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardockaudi.com oncomedywriting. Click the Supporter Artist button and shop on Amazon like you normally would, and we get a little kickback. Our guest this week is Sam Brown. He's from the great sketch group, Widest Kids You Know, and he's a teacher at the Pack Theater. I've taken Sam's class. I took his Level 2 class in his uh, show class. He's a great teacher, got a lot out of it. I really recommend the Pack Theater sketch program. Uh, And Sam's also just a great guy. Yeah, he's been a good friend to me. So here is Sam Brown. Uh, Sam, thanks for coming by. Hey,
1: jeez. (laughs) First thing, this is yeah. I I want to uh, really quick. uh, This I guess this is really early to throw this. I I I did a, a stand up show at my brother's bar which isn't like a a place that has stand-up show but in in boston and I, I would drive comedians from new york to boston and it was me and sean o'connor we would do this show and we were doing our first show and it was like all this prep because it's like five hours right it's like, you know like uh to drive there so it's kind of like a big production for just like a stand-up show and uh We got there and there's no stage, but what he had were these, uh, uh, like, kind of like metal end tables that were like two feet tall and like a foot and a half by a foot and a half. And we just took a bunch of those and we put them together and we put a floor mat on them and we're like, oh, this is a stage. It's like (laughs) made perfect sense that that was a stage. I'm getting nervous and I'm uh, about to like go up on stage and I'm like, all right, this is it. And as I'm going up on stage, my, the, my, the top side of my toe just catches one of the tables, and I fell through the stage. I fell through all oh the God. end tables that we, and it was like, it was like simultaneously like the worst and best way to start a comedy <laughs> show. And that was like right now that my start here is like right very similar there with that. Sorry, that was a long story for a little.
0: Would what, Would you do like when you for the show after you fell through? <laughs> Uh I talked about that for like a half hour, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, it, it, that constantly like everyone was like, Yeah, yeah, every comedian had to like go <laughs> up before. and be like, well, that guy fell through the stage. that's <laughs> all of our worst fear, uh, yeah,
0: uh, where are you from originally?
1: I'm from a town called Sandwich, Massachusetts.
0: Oh yeah, so, I know Sandwich, Massachusetts. Oh really? Well, I've never been, but I've I've heard of it. It's like uh, near Cape Cod, or it's on Cape. It's Cod. on Cape Cod. Yeah, Cod. it's yeah, like yeah. like
1: one of like the first towns over the bridge.
0: Yeah, I know someone who's from there. Oh really? Yeah.
1: Oh, that's funny. Uh huh. Uh, what's her name? Uh, her. It's <laughs> her. a him. Him. <laughs> uh, Ryan Sheehan. Ryan Sheehan. I, th- I. Th- that name sounds super familiar. Interesting.
0: I mean, Sheen's probably like a, a name that's yeah, Massachusetts yeah. name.
1: No, I, I, that name sounds like very, huh. very familiar. And I forget everyone from high school, so yeah. it's like very likely that that was my best friend growing up. <laughs> uh, uh, not that I'm like, like oh, uh, I forget, just I have a bad right. memory. I <laughs> smoked pot every day for like a decade. Uh, did Did you like growing up in Cape Cod? I, You know, it's funny. It's like I think in the moment, I was like, oh, this place is boring. I wish I lived in a city. But, like, you know, I went to college in New York. And I think as soon as I, as like, I remember like coming home for Thanksgiving freshman year, I was like, oh, I get it. Yeah. I get the appeal of where I'm from. And like looking back on it, I think it was a really cool childhood. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, we got to like go to the beach all the time. And it's like when you're a kid, you're like, I don't want to go to the beach again. <laughs> but you don't realize that it's like a luxury. And, right. Uh, and yeah, the place is just like really nice and quaint. And ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Didn't sound good. I'm glad I'm not the only person to screw up this early <laughs> on. Uh, uh, um, were you into comedy at a young age? Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, my mom's like, was, has always been into comedy. And. She's always been a real big comedy fan. I think like all my whole family. It, so it it was just me and my brother uh, at home. But my mom had uh, four brothers and sisters, and so I like while it was just me and my brother, I really felt like I was like the instead of being the you know, youngest of two, I felt like I was the youngest of seven, you know? Oh, interesting. Uh, and so it was like one of those things where everyone like had a good sense of humor. And so it was one of those kind of things where it's like, oh, to get noticed around here, you got to be funny, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. What, what did you uh, watch growing up? Uh, I watched, I remember, I watched The State. I loved The State. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like that, that was, uh, you know, I had, big period where i loved snl i think i started getting into snl like with like the like late mike myers cast Mm -hmm. that was like when it was like like really of my and that's like i mean everyone says this but that that's a great cast is that that, like when it's that mike myers but like chris farley and chris rock and um uh, Rob Schneider are starting to show up, yeah, yeah. and like Jane Hooks, and yeah, John uh, Lovitz, John Lovitz. Hey, <laughs> there was this sketch that I always uh, that I, I love, where it was um, who is it that that had that the, the squeaky voice the
0: on SNL on
1: SNL. She's kind of like a political nut uh, now. Oh, Victoria, Victoria Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, 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 it's Victoria Jackson, and. She's pregnant. I remember Woody Harrelson was the host, and it was that she was pregnant and doing like everything she shouldn't be doing. Like she like was pregnant and like she she was trying to get a microwave work so her belly was completely in the microwave <laughs> and as she was fiddling with the cord it was turning on yeah. and uh, like she fell down the basement stairs carrying like lead paint down, and like uh, the whole time Woody Harrelson's like oh can I can I help you out with that and she's like no I'm good I'm good and then like the ending was that it was John Lovitz. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: uh I was like what a great end of a sketch <laughs> uh-huh. there was um this is so random but there was a very weird thing on like a young starlet was pretending to date John Lovitz really as a um I think as a way to, it was like an ad for something I can't remember what it was but it was like for like two days I was like is this person dating John Lovitz wait like now yeah like two years ago I think I forget who the, oh. the, the who it was, but it was such a weird thing. And then the joke was that it's John Lovitz, so no. which yeah. I feel kind of bad for. But <laughs> the guy, hey, he, he can take a joke well, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> it's not bad life. He was the critic. The critic, you know? that's a good yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, the state I haven't seen the state in forever. It was on Hulu for like a hot second, but it's gone now. I think.
1: Yeah, some of those state sketches really like. I mean, like, when I saw The State... I think the first time I saw The State is... I used to watch a lot of MTV. Mm-hmm. My brother was, like, three years older than me. So, it was... I used to, like, catch the stuff he was watching. Mm-hmm. And I think it was that kind of thing, too, where it was, like... Your mom is, like... Has all the rules for the older brother, but the younger brother gets to, like... Right. Go wild, so... As far as, like, content and stuff like that, it was always, like, trickling down through him. Like, he would mm-hmm. see stuff. And uh, and so, yeah, he'd watch a lot of MTV. And uh, I remember uh, they had the Jon Stewart show. Jon Stewart had his talk show mm-hmm. on MTV, and he ended off a season. He showed a sketch of the States that was, uh, like, the Beat It setup, where it was, like, nuns fighting Amish people. <laughs> okay. Like that, like the, the Beat It video, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at the very end of the show... They were like, and this is like the the season finale. They were like, hey, um, yeah, we were just wondering since uh, this is your last show and you're not going to use the studio anymore, can we trash it? And he was like, and they had like axes and bats and stuff. And he was like, yeah, sure. And so the end Whoa. of the show was just them trashing the set. And it, it was like one of those things where I was like, I've never seen that before. Yeah, yeah. And like, so yeah, the state very much so were like when – when I wanted to do sketch comedy, Mm. I think that was, like, a really big thing. Especially, like, yeah, that was, like, before I even recognized it as a form of of comedy. Right. I was just like, oh, this is weird and different. Yeah. Why are these little things so short? Uh, And then Kids in the Hall was, like, the state was, like, different in, like, this, like, surreal, exciting way. And Kids in the Hall was, like, Bizarre to me Mm -hmm. Like I remember Kids in the Hall They used to show Before they showed The reruns on Comedy Central They showed uh, They would show it After Saturday Night Live and it was, like, oh. this weird thing. I feel like there might have even been a show in between Saturday Night Live and Kids All- It was so late, it's insane <laughs> that they were trying, like, it was, like, the one thirty show. Like, they right. had a one thirty time slot mm-hmm. on NBC. When, also, mind you, like... There's no DVR. There's no DVR. TV, like, some channels were, like, shutting down. Like, some channels <laughs> would just be like, oh, we don't have... Con- right. It wasn't, like like, it was... Back in a period where you you wouldn't have like twenty four hour entertainment mm-hmm. really. And uh they maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's a it's at least a new thing that there's twenty four hour entertainment. And uh I stayed up late one night and and saw a, the Gavin sketch, the like uh, Was it the long one? The Bruce McCullough like as that Gavin character mm-hmm. that like you know. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That like little kid with the backpack. Mm-hmm. And there was this joke that I like always landed so well to me. And like where Gavin was at the uh the whole thing is Gavin talking to Mormons. So the Mormons come and they like knock on the door and he's being all weird. And then they go like, Um, can we talk to you about the good book? And like kind of do the whole Mormon pitch and, and they're like, Do you mind if we come in? And he goes, Sure. And they like look at each other like that's never happened before. Like no <laughs> one's ever said yes to them. And that joke of like, oh, we got the reaction we want, but like it feels foreign to us. I right. think it's so funny and, and such a big statement with so few words. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I love humor like that. Yeah. Uh when you went to
0: college, you like you know what you wanted to do?
1: Um I know I loved sketch comedy. I know I I mean like in high school, I was like, uh, I used to skateboard and I was really bad at skateboarding, <laughs> but my mom had a video camera and those things come together as you're the guy who's going to be taping everything. <laughs> like, like That's what that recipe
0: uh, cooks. Uh, Not a bad place to be. Skateboarding, Just hanging out with skateboards is fun.
1: Yeah, no, it was great. Uh, I I loved that, and the the kind of like brotherhood that we had was was so fun. And uh, we used to do weird things, like we had an annual twenty four hour skate session where we would stay up all night. And uh, those are we did it twice. I think they did it a couple more times mm-hmm. after I stopped doing it. It's but, known
0: as the Del Close Marathon. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, we did like a a ten person Del Close Marathon. <laughs> uh without any improv uh but yeah uh so like I did that and I and I also found out that um uh, you could you could just take classes at the cable access Thing for free at the cable access network for free and they would let you use all the equipment so again mm-hmm. like being skateboarders me and all my friends were like hey guys let's like do this Right. and then we can use their equipment And so we used to like make TV shows and not air them uh, but like yeah somewhere in the cable access network there's like I think like a three hour tape of me and my friends messing around <laughs> uh, and so I knew I wanted to do like film or TV and when I like got to New York, and I knew I I was really into sketch comedy, Uh, and uh, when I got to New York, the Upright Citizens Brigade, who had uh, the TV show a couple years earlier, and I was like, I think at least in my high school I was the only person that watched it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was like a really weird thing to me that it was like, oh, they've got a theater, because I didn't know it was something bigger than the TV show. And the theater had only been open like a year or two at that point and uh and so I just started going to like shows at that theater and uh like it really early on, I met Trevor uh from whitest kids, and really early like meeting Trevor, we were like, "Hey, let's start a sketch group." That was like what the basis of our friendship was." Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was his best man at his wedding and he's one of my best friends. So it's like it's like it's funny that the the thing that we do together was the start of of the friendship. Yeah. Like the thing that we created to, together at like in the first conversation we ever had that has become a, a defining part of our lives, uh was like the beginning of that friendship. So it wasn't like I went to college Knowing I wanted to do sketch comedy, but as soon as I started, as like in the first semester of going to college, I figured out what I wanted to do. Yeah, did you guys like instantly hit it off? Uh, well, the funny thing was, was I saw him once at a at an open mic night that was really bad, and he looked like a really serious guy that like <laughs> uh, like he like had a notebook with him and he was by himself, and he did his, his like he did a really weird bit, and I went up to him and I was like, hey man. That was really funny. And he was like, thanks, and walked away. <laughs> and then uh, a few, like a week later, I was at like a improv jam. And they picked me to like interview to do the improv off of. And I wasn't trying to be funny, but I was getting the crowd laughing. And uh, he came up to me afterwards. And, and I'd mentioned that I went to school of visual arts. And he came up to me afterwards to be like, hey, I also go to School of Visual mm. Arts. We should uh, we should do sketch comedy together. And I was like, oh, great. Then we started talking more. And at this time, I was living in this uh, general housing dorm called the Hotel St. George, which is like in Brooklyn Heights. It's like a half hour subway ride ah. from the actual school. So, like, I was in this period where I was meeting people I went to school with and I was... And like I'd be like, hey, we should hang out. And then I'd realize that i live lived like they live like right <laughs> next to the school and I live like a half hour away. That like I felt like I was like all of a sudden a commuter to this place. And uh and so I started talking to Trevor and it turned out that he lived like the floor above me in the the dorm. And then and he was with his girlfriend and I was like, Oh, I, You know, had the conversation, good conversation with him and was like all psyched on like starting this thing with him. And then I go to the subway and I was on the downtown side and I see him across the platform, him and his girlfriend on the uptown side. And I was like, oh, I guess they're like going to check out Times Square or something. I don't know. (laughs) And then uh, later I talked to him and I was like, yeah, yeah, you went on the, And he was like, yeah, I thought it would be awkward to take the train with you. (laughs) So he took the train up a stop and then got on the wow. next one. So,
0: <laughs> so you did not hit it off. We did we
1: did not that. He he had his his guard up in a way. But yeah, pretty soon into it we we did. And then like uh the other thing that happened was um the funny thing about the dorm we lived in is that uh it was a general housing dorm. It was a dorm for people who didn't get their their papers in on time mm. to get housing with the school at the school and it was like any school in new york you could you could do that so it was like this spillover dorm it was everyone who was like the last in to get their shit in for their dorm can go to this third-party dorm Mm -hmm. and uh there were no ra's there and so it was like oh like someone wasn't really thinking this through <laughs> yeah. where it was like, let's take the laziest people from <laughs> all the schools of New York and let's have them unsupervised. And, uh, and it was like, I've met life, like all my lifelong friends from college. I've met through living at that door. I can imagine
0: the meet from place. Yeah.
1: And uh, yeah, it was, it was wild. And yeah, um, there was, yeah. Uh, the, and two doors down from me um was uh this you know like kind of like skinny hardcore kid uh and i started hanging out at his room and uh it was uh zach from the troop and he meant and i mentioned like hey i'm doing this sketch comedy thing with this guy i met and he was like hey i act i was in episodes of Homicide Life on the (laughs) Streets. Can I be in your thing? And we were like, sure. And I was like, you should probably meet Trevor. Then we met up. uh, I remember, I guess it was 2001 in January. We met up, watched the Super Bowl. Then we watched the first ever episode of Survivor. And then we like hung out and like kind of joked around. I think think we wrote a sketch that night and uh, that was like the beginning of like what is the sketch group that mm-hmm. we made the TV show with, and who are the people who today I'm still writing with? Yeah.
0: When you say you want to do sketch comedy, like what did you start doing? Like actually, like writing and performing stuff.
1: We so. <laughs> It's funny. So we didn't know what we were doing yeah. as far as like, hey, let's do a sketch show. So the first step was we put flyers around the city, like flyers around the school, flyers around NYU that were like, basically, like, hey, want to join a sketch group? Which is weird. That's a weird <laughs> thing to do. Uh, and then, but we got some people into it, and so we did two things first. We we uh, they did the tree lighting in Rockefeller Center. And we went to Rockefeller Center with line, with signs protesting the tree lighting <laughs> for, like, no reason at all. And then the other thing was, it was uh, the 20th anniversary of uh, John Lennon's uh, uh, assassination, mm-hmm. right? John Lennon's murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we... There was this thing at Strawberry Fields, and so we... First off we pretended that we were truth dot com people and that like we went around and we we're like, We're truth.com and we're against gun violence and we want you to sign this petition against gun violence. We got everyone to sign these gun violence petitions. So everyone just recognized us as like people who were against gun violence. And then we did this like weird like public funeral for for Trevor dressed up like John Lennon, <laughs> where we had him dressed up like a dead John Lennon yeah. and we were like like, this is what gun violence does to people. This is, like, you know, and then we'd, like, put a sheet over him on the ground. And and then, like, after, f- like, two minutes, he, like, got up and we all went, oh, my God, John Lennon's back from the dead and he's out for blood. It's very dumb.
0: Uh, were, you, were you filming this at all or just doing it for fun? No, we filmed uh, it. Okay. Uh, I hope that
1: footage is nowhere now. Uh, <laughs> yeah it's very very dumb and very like disrespectful to people's feelings uh <laughs> uh but that that was like the first two things we did and that was like i guess so that was december and then after that we spent that next semester when we got back from uh winter break just putting together one show uh the show was... April 20th. I remember it was 420, and then we realized yeah. it was like Hitler's birthday. Uh, and we did like one show at the amphitheater and in the school. And that was like our big goal was like to like, and we'd never really seen much sketch. I mm-hmm. saw a little bit at Upright Citizens Brigade, but like live sketch was, I was not aware of right. really. And uh, we were just basically doing what we'd seen on TV live on stage. And we would, it was funny cause too, cause it's like an amphitheater. So it doesn't really have a backstage. So what we would do is we would have a chalkboard in the, up on the like amphitheaters, you know, it's like one of those like college like, kind like, of like presentation. Yeah, rooms. Yeah, yeah. So we would just have a, a chalkboard with a sheet over it for us to be, for the, to be our backstage. And we had like 11 members in the group, uh, Yeah, uh, it was weird. And I'm really glad that we had this period where we were like an amateur sketch comedy. Like we didn't think of it then as like we were like an amateur sketch comedy group, but we were just like, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just doing whatever we could. And then we shot, the the following year we did like, we really like picked up the pace of the shows. I think we did like, through, I think we did two shows that following semester, the first semester in 2001, and then we did three the semester after that. Mm-hmm. And then the year after that, we would start doing comedy clubs, but still we weren't like part of any comedy scene. And uh, yeah, it was, I think just like an, I think it was good to be like in a bubble and not be like exposed as like, hey, we think this is great, you know? And mm-hmm uh cuz it kind of gives you more like room to grow. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I think I think it was important that we like kind of were figuring stuff out for a while and not putting ourselves on too big of a stage mm-hmm. in a way. Um Yeah, and we like in that period we shot a pilot on film. We were like, yeah, I guess Oh, wow. I guess uh you know, people who get TV shows make pilots and so like let's get together like a bunch of sixteen millimeter film that we have, and because you would get allotted sixteen millimeter mm-hmm. film with your tuition money and let's like shoot a pilot actually the guy who was the DP of that and uh later he was uh he shot a couple of the seasons of as kids' was this guy Mike Simmons, who just um Shot Vice Principals oh. this season two and just shot Halloween. Oh, wow! Halloween so that, would look good. That new Halloween, yeah, yeah. I thought he did great and uh, very cool guy. Um, oh, he was doing but, David Gordon Green stuff, that's cool. Yeah, David, yeah. That guy's a great director, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Uh, I'm really psyched and yeah, I'm always happy to see his stuff. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and it's so funny to think back to like we would be in this like uh we'd be in this studio up at our school and it would be like the weekend, no one would be in the school and we'd be like smoking in the building and <laughs> and we we'd pay him with like forties and he'd basically be like, All right, well, I'm not gonna like you know, it's like ten o'clock. I'm not gonna stop at eleven, but I am gonna start drinking at eleven. <laughs> and uh yeah uh but yeah we, we shot this pilot ended up being like 45 minutes long with like seven minute sketches and was uh, it just like a sketch pilot yeah and uh i well like i'm like oh like we did that wrong we like the the hitler rap video was oh. um which was one of our first early hits uh which was uh was part of that pilot. So mm-hmm. some of that stuff ended up on TV. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think without it, we wouldn't have been able to get certain opportunities that we got later on.
0: Yeah. When did you start getting more involved like in the actual like, New York comedy scene? Well, so so we were this big like
1: 12-person sketch group for a while, and then we kept doing these shows that were like, At this comedy club, uh, it was New York comedy club that like at the time, someone recently told me it was like actually a a very legit venue, uh, but because it's under new ownership. But at the time, it was like this very scummy kind of scam artist uh, comedy club it was the the comedy club that I don't know if they still do this but there'd be people in Times Square just going up to tourists going do, oh, yeah. do you like comedy they still do that and they go like well Chris Rock could be at a show here. <laughs> yeah and you're like well yeah so could Barack Obama uh, you know it's doesn't mean he is gonna be there uh so yeah we we were doing shows there and it was a bit like they were just letting us like do the shows there because we could each you know it's like 12 people if we each brought five people (laughs) it was like a great night for them and uh but we we did a couple shows and we were getting towards the end of college and we realized that um yeah like uh the shows were kind of like there was something wrong with it something wasn't clicking and um yeah we we kind of decided that we should refocus what we're doing because we're not going to have this this kind of like um this frame keeping us all together that's uh the school mm-hmm. you know like we're, we're not going to have a budget from the school that is a reason that like hey like we should all be doing this so hindsight being 2020 and as i always say this is that like i think the right decision would have been to just quit the group if we all just like quit and like broke up the group and then started a new group with mm-hmm. the, the members we wanted to like still work with. But, uh, but we just, we were at the time, I think we were really focused on like, Oh, we have like a really good reputation, which I, no, no one knew who we were. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so we, we uh, broke up the band. Uh, we, uh, it was uh Trevor, zach and i and then uh we kept timmy in the group uh and uh there was this other guy darren that zach met that we really clicked with mm-hmm. and um it was really funny and he was bringing these sketches and we we're like yeah these are this is the kind of stuff we want to make and uh we decided like all right we're gonna add him. It. it's gonna be a five-person group and we're gonna like do stuff around the city And we were doing stuff at at different comedy clubs. And uh, then uh, there was this club in the Lower East Side called Pianos. And David Cross was doing a show there called Tinkle. And then David Cross got Arrested Development. And so Tinkle was ending. And they really wanted to fill that spot. And it just so turned out that uh, Zach's roommate was the booker there. And so that got our foot in the door. And we came to them with the the pilot that we had and they kind of watched like half of a sketch and we're like i don't care what it is and just (laughs) asked us like do you think you can fill the room every week and we were like yeah and so we started doing a weekly sketch show and uh in the weekly sketch show we we kind of uh we decided, like, oh, we'll get acts to play with us. And that, mm. and we, it was weird because we didn't have the confidence that we should have that people would want to come see us, <laughs> that our own friends would want to come see us. So, yeah. what we would do is we were like, we'll get three acts, we'll get two opening acts, these will be smaller comedians from around the city, and then we'll get a big headlining comedian <laughs> and they'll play after us. <laughs> and there was a point, so we kept doing it like that. And, the the comedians and it got to the point where we were like booking like bigger and bigger comedians like comedians that we were like honestly like super psyched to work with like uh like Todd Barry would like would do it and like Eugene Merman and there got came to be a point where we realized like oh they're like annoyed that they're going on after us <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's not like a positive thing and then like uh There were some comedians that just did really bad in that spot. And so we decided like, oh, no, the proper way to do it is have comedians open for us. Right. And then do our set, which is like, if we're advertising, it's what people want to come see. And mm-hmm. yeah. And then that's just getting people to open up for us was like how we kind of... uh got involved with the New York comedy scene. And it was funny because I remember, uh, you know, we we needed to book people to open up for us. We are all doing stuff and, like, working, you know, five days a week. And Trevor was like, go go to some open mic nights and see if you can get people to open for us. And I'd never really gone to open mic nights, and I just went to, like, one in Times Square. And uh, I didn't realize how, like, bad – a lot of open mic nights <laughs> right. can be. Or like, how sa- I went to like a particularly, like, one of the ones where it has like those like, 45 year old regulars. Right, yeah, yeah. And, it was just like a depressed, and I was like, I don't think there are funny comedians in New York. <laughs> and then we did this show at Caroline's, or no, not Caroline's, at Gotham, where we did like, one little bit on it. And, uh, the other people we played with were, uh, I think it was, Carolyn Castiglia, Greg Johnson, Dan Neubauer, James Patterson. And besides being like, like, I, Greg Johnson is one of my best friends mm-hmm. now. And that was like, we we they all did the show. We all met them that night. And they all then were the people that like opened for us for the next month. Mm-hmm. And like, so getting to meet those people, like like getting that in, then introduced us to like the whole Rafifi scene and then going to Rafifi and invite them up. We started meeting more people and we were like, Hey, can you come open for us at mm. our show? Like down the street. And, uh, yeah. And then that, and then eventually, cause you know, we, I think we did a good job of getting people to come to our show. People really liked playing our show. And then, um, yeah, we just met more and more people that way. And mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and it was like a crazy scene back then. Like, it this is lame to say this is like such a lame thing to say but like Rafifi like 2004 2005 when I think about that time I think about I think about it like it's like a version of CBGB's Hmm. where there were like like all these people learning to do comedy who would be comedic voices of this current generation of comedians, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, like, you know, like Reggie Watts is someone who, who like I first met and saw what he did opening up for us or, or at invite them up or like, like Nick Kroll, John Mulaney, Kristen Shaw, uh, you know, like Chelsea Peretti, variety shack. Like that was like, mm-hmm. like such a cool thing. Like, uh, you know, like, we became friends with like the death by Ruru guys. And it's like, there was like, like Brett Gelman, John or like John Daly wasn't death by Ruru, but, uh, cracked out. And like, uh, um, uh, you know, Anthony and and, uh, um, um, Neil Casey, like, like, um, and, uh, John Gemberling was like, I, he was a guy, John Gamberling. I saw back when we went to like UCB shows. I saw him do a bit where he got uh, fucked in the butt for sketch comedy. And it, he didn't really, but like he definitely stuck a big dildo in his butt, like in his butt cheeks. And uh, it was like, the, and he was like throwing up. And it was like this, absurd, it sounds worse than it was. It was definitely funny and crazy, but like. Uh, Him and Curtis Gwynn were guys that like I like saw do comedy when I didn't know what comedy was mm-hmm. who like at that period got to be friends with. And it was mm-hmm. like like really exciting to like collaborate with those guys and even just like like be in their presence mm-hmm. and like get to like hang out with them. And like they freaking like. I would like hang out at their place and they'd show me uh this uh like Troll 2 and be like this movie's crazy and then later there was like a documentary about the popularity of Troll 2 mm-hmm. and that they were like a part of like bringing that into wow pop- it was <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was like like a show that they put on was part of that documentary. Oh, I see. Do do you, do you ever see that movie? I, I yes, it's like one of the most like it's really weird. like yeah. bad movies. And yeah, um, yeah, but that that time was like, and like being a part of that, it it's just crazy. There's so many good comedians, that, and like even like like Jonah Ray and like uh, he's a guy that like. I met back at Rafifi and from going to shows at Rafifi, but like he'd be in New York for like a little bit because he was working on Andy Milonakis' show. And then mm-hmm. he's like, Oh, I'm going off to LA. And then when we started going to LA, it was like, oh, like Jonah Ray's like the guy in LA. Mm-hmm. And um Yeah, and then there was like a second wave, too. Like that was like the first wave of like great people, but then there was this like wave of people that like came just like a little bit after us that like uh i think are just some of the funniest stand-up comedians that like uh you know like sean Patton and sean o'connor and like Mm -hmm. uh like there was this whole scene at like the creek in the cave and you know like all it was like this thing where people would be moving from different cities to new york and like uh yeah, and that's like like Kumail and uh yeah like that's when I like I don't know I just I, eh, I'm just getting name dropping sorry <laughs> well, uh, but it was a really cool time it was a really cool fun and exciting place
0: what what do you think like how do you think a scene like that is made is it just like the confluence of people or is there something like about the New York comedy scene at the time that made that happen
1: I think yeah it was like uh. I think things like that ebb and flow and, you know, like, I think there was this kind of a uh, comedic renaissance that came from, uh, I think with like comedians that were a little older, like your, like, like Eugene Merman is, I think a, a big part of this is, was that, uh he was part of this crew of comedians that would be doing shows in New York, but, like, like most of the shows in New, York, in New York at the time were, like, done through clubs. Right. And it was always this bummer to, like, get people to come to your show and have to pay uh, two drinks and possibly buy a meal item or something. Because we had to put up with that, too. And, like, have that be, like, the standard. And uh, so he was someone who, and like Tinkle was an example of this. Like those guys like paved this groundwork of like, find a stage in the cities anywhere. Do a show for free. It's more valuable to have an audience there where you can get better than it is to do something at a a venue that has a good reputation. Uh and there was a cool like punk vibe to it you know and uh and there was this and every once in a while venues pop up that are like perfect for that and i think the the first example was Rafifi where Rafifi had this live space in the back of it that uh you know that was disconnected from the bar it's super important if you're ever thinking about starting a comedy show look for stages that aren't that are at a bar but not in the bar Mm. because if it's in the bar that means there's going to be people going to the bar that don't want to be at a comedy show and if it's not at a bar then why does anyone want to be there? You know, <laughs> like, you don't want to be, like, the sole reason that they're there. Uh, that's, like, a, a place like that. Uh, but, um, so, Rafifi was perfect because it had this live stage. There was, like, there was a door in between the bar and the stage. Great. Small, uh, but, like, just, like, a perfect size. Like, a size that... Uh, and it really doesn't have to be too big because, like, even if it is really small... It's, like, fun when it's packed. Like, comedy is fun when you're packed in, like, sardines and the laughter fills the room. Uh, So, yeah, there's this bar, Rafifi, Like, check. Perfect live room. Uh, And then the other thing that happened was uh, the from what I gathered, the owner was, like, not a great bar owner Hmm. and didn't really have a tight... Uh, a tight leash on his bartenders In the sense that like They could get away with a lot And they were super nice bartenders I loved the bartenders at Rafifi I thought they were all great people And they just basically If you were like If they recognized you from doing shows there they would You'd pay for your first drink And then the rest would be for free <laughs> So then like A lot of comedians realized this And a lot of us were like Broke 20 year olds and, and so uh, We were all going to invite them up, which was such a cool show. They had an album out, and like great comedians would play that show. And then they would ask the, the, the people at Rafifi if they could do a show. And so eventually Rafifi had a show every night of the week. And so it would be this place where there were countless amounts of times where I was like, oh, I only have like $15 in my bank account. I guess I'm going to go drink at Rafifi. And I go there to like have a drink and I pop my head in and I see a show that like that, um, you know, like Pete Holmes is putting on. I don't know, like Nick Kroll is putting on that like there's like seven people in the audience, mm-hmm. but they're killing it. And it's this thing where seeing things like that on, only push yourself, you know, like it. it it feeds off of itself. Yeah. And uh, uh, and it pushes you to do something more creative that like in only sparks that fire mm. and stokes it. And um, yeah, and so that was like so great was that it was this place where like people just wanted to be that people would be putting good material up at. And uh, yeah, and I remember like it didn't matter if there was like five people in the audience, you could still have a good show there. I remember like we would like be drinking there and there'd be no one in the live room and we would go in the live room and be like, Hey, let's just do a, a, like, let's do like little dumb standup sets. And I know it's just like screw around stuff. But honestly, I think that like in learning how to deal with a crowd, like that helped and, Mm -hmm. and, Um, yeah. And so it was like this really special place in that sense. But then at the same time, because it was poorly run, like none of the, the fines were paid, none of the, the license were up to So like, I think it was around like 2008, 2009, it shut down. And like, people were like, uh, I think I I, I might get this wrong. I, I think it was, like, Joe Mandy and Max Silvestri, like, went to, like, city meetings to try and save Rafifi. <laughs> and they were just, like, didn't realize that, like, oh, Rafifi has, like, $100,000 worth of fines. <laughs> and I'm getting so many of these details wrong, but that's, like, from my outside perspective, mm-hmm. basically what I gathered. Uh, and And, yeah, it was that... Did I answer your question? No, yeah, you <laughs> yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think like that kind of place. And then, like, um, you know, I saw it happen again at the Creek in the Cave where it became, a, where it was like one of these places that became a place that people liked to be. And then there was like a show every night of the week. And I remember with Creek in the Cave, I was so like cross armed. I I look back on myself in, 20, in my 20s, I'm like, I was an asshole. Because <laughs> I was like looking at that place and I was like, I was like, oh, it's too much. We're oversaturating the market. Uh, (laughs) Like I knew anything. And, uh, but no, it became this like really great destination for like, it was, from my perspective, Timmy and this guy, John F. O'Donnell, who's a funny comedian, uh, put on this, this uh, open mic night called Kingdom of Heaven. And. It was like, uh, put your name in the bucket, open mic night, and then there'd be some book slots and they would, you know, kind of like let their friends like kind of go up a lot. And it was this, you know, fun, fun spot that people liked being at and became it had this kind of clubhouse feel after Mm -hmm. a while. Uh, And yeah, uh, and a lot of great comedians that uh, I, you know, see on billboards today came from that (laughs) scene, too. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, how did the uh, Whitest Kids show come about? The TV show, yeah, the TV show.
1: We—that's uh, a funny story. Is we we so we did our year anniversary, and after our year anniversary at Pianos, we we got like a press, like a uh, someone, a writer for Time Out New York to come to one of the shows to review it. I think she was coming out to review it. And then, um, she liked the show and was like, well, I'm going to write an article about that. And I think the article, and it was like partly about the scene, partly about like everything that Mm -hmm. I was just talking about, but it just went from being like, like, you know, a small like blurb to like a full page article about like just how people are putting up comedy shows at theaters. And, um with that we were able to like go to uh a manager zach had this manager at the time and he was like hey come to my comedy show here's us like it had a little like cover tag on time out new york like something funny is happening in the lower east side (laughs) uh like this is us uh and then with that she came out and she was agreed to represent us and then like uh she got william morris agents to come and see us and they agreed to represent us and then they got um two networks to come see us one was uh sundance channel and i think the other was history channel which is weird uh and we decided that we like we like pitched a pilot presentation to sundance channel we we they they agreed to fund presentation like very bare bones Mm -hmm. they were like make like a 12 minute thing we had we felt like the need to like pitch the show as like have an angle because we're just five white guys it's very bland idea like as far as like if i saw that billboard i'd be like well why do i want to watch that i i see billboards similar to that and i'm like there's no reason why i should watch this (laughs) uh just because it's on Comedy Central doesn't mean I want to watch it. Uh, not to make fun of it. Jeez, uh, now Comedy Central is never going to work. Uh, uh, really burning bridges. Uh, uh, so we had this pilot presentation, and uh, with Sundance Channel, and we instead of just a sketch show, we had it like this, like kind of Curb Your Enthusiasm sketch show, where it was like about us playing cartoonish versions of ourselves yeah. making a sketch show and uh the sketches would be it's kind of like what ended up being the format to michael and michael have issues oh you ever saw that? Yeah, yeah, yeah or it was like a narrative sketch show mm-hmm. uh and we finished that and i remember like like for me from my perspective uh i remember Trevor one day was like, Hey, uh, what'd you think? What'd you think of the final product? And I was like, like, Oh, it was really good. And like completely saying that because it's like when you make something, you're like, Oh, I did a good job. (laughs) Right. You're trying to like convince yourself a little, uh, he was kind of like, no, but really. And I was like, well, definitely like, and we'd shown it a few times and, uh, like, the sketches always got a really big reaction, and then everyone kind of just like sat through yeah. the you know, like the cause we and I was like, Well, we we've spent the last five years making sketch shows. I wish we could just make a sketch show. And um, then we didn't hear anything from Sundance Channel. We expect that we handed it in, we like didn't hear anything, and it's kind of like, and then i I had this realization where the deal that that we had with them is that they would have like six months to make a decision, and it's like you hand in the thing, and like two weeks at the latest, they know what they want to do with it. right, but if it's a if it's a no, why not wait? the extra five months because like we're still doing stuff. Like maybe we're going to have like a viral hit tomorrow and it makes sense. And so anyways, so they, they kind of were sitting on us and uh, in the meantime, we'd, uh, we'd gotten into the Aspen comedy and arts festival and uh, that, that was enough for our agents and managers to kind of like push Sundance channel to like, pull the trigger on us, you know? And so they pulled the trigger and killed it, you know? Uh, and, but that was good because now we could pitch out our idea. Right. Going into the, the Aspen and everyone wants to buy something at Aspen. And like, it starts like before, you know, like you pitch going into it and then like everyone waits. If they want to buy it, they like wait for the, the festival to right. announce it. Cause all the press is there. And uh so yeah, uh and one of the places we were thinking about going to was Comedy Central and I think they were they were ready to make a pilot with us, but uh Fuse came to us and Holly Schlesinger, who is great, uh was the booker at invite them up and she was one of the executives at Fuse mm. and she was like basically like or Fuse came to us and they were like, uh, "Look, we we don't have the the budget or the uh, exposure of Comedy Central, but what we'll offer you is you can make a show now. We'll ten episodes go straight to series, and you can um, you can make whatever show you want. And that was like instant. Like, yes, yeah, this is this is the way to go. Like, I." was so sure of it. And I mean, maybe it was a little foolish to be like, guys, as soon as people see our stuff, they're going to be blown away. But, uh, I was very excited to just make our material and get it out there and let it speak for itself. And I, and I think it has, Mm -hmm. I, I am really happy that making that choice and being open to the idea that like this, this, smaller network could see us through and, Mm -hmm. and liked the challenge of making it for a smaller budget. And,
0: um, yeah. Um, Yeah. It's nice to have that like freedom to kind of exist on your own. yeah, Yeah.
1: No, it was, yeah.
0: What were like the challenges of like moving like a stage sketches and stuff to television?
1: Well, there was, first off, there was like the, the very like, obvious like challenges of some sketches when we used to do our stage show we would do it completely minimal we would uh not have we would like have like maybe a handful of props like we would most of our props were bought at the dollar store down the street immediately before the show sometimes we would have a wig uh and well the thing is is that sometimes these sketches that we wrote that we really liked played with that idea Like, that, like, played with a reveal. Like, we would pantomime something and then reveal it was something else. So, an example of this is there's a sketch called Motorcycle Mama that we did. Where uh, the whole thing is Zach pretending to be driving a motorcycle. And Timmy pretending to be, like, the, like, biker babe on the back of the motorcycle. And, uh, And, like, halfway through the sketch... Timmy goes, I don't want to play Motorcycle Mama anymore. This is boring. And, like, the reveal is that they're little kids. (laughs) And it's like, well, how do we do that? And we came up with this idea that they would have a wig. She would have a wig on. Timmy would have a wig on. He would have a leather coat. And we just had, like, a poster in the background. And then there's a reveal that you're, like, you're actually in a little kid's bedroom and he's just got handlebars, you know? And it's Mm -hmm. like, that was, like, a fun thing. But, uh, It was funny because if you look at the show, the first season, I'd say like 90% of the first season, maybe even like 95% was just stuff that we've written in the past three years. Uh, And then the second season was like half of that second season. And then the third season was the, the first season where we started from scratch and wrote it. And when we get to the third season, I feel like the bigger challenge was we had to shift how we wrote sketches. Mm. Like when you're writing sketches live, you tend to like... You you, t- you tend to like think of ways to excite the audience with things happening throughout the room. And you stop thinking of things... You stop thinking about this... this uh, things in a two-dimensional space and start thinking about things in a three-dimensional space when you're, you're thinking about things live. Where it's like, you know, like, TV, there's the screen. Right. And you think about that plane being there. And you always think about things being viewed through that, like, box. And you think of, like, if you're writing for stage, coming from a thinking about it in a TV perspective, you think about the edge of the stage as, uh, like, the, the beginning of the screen right Mm -hmm. so but like through doing our live show i remember it was like an amazing breakthrough to like start thinking of it as like no you're in a room with people and there are a lot of things you can do that like help remind people that and that's going to get you energy for your sketches and that's like a trick like a trick that i would you know like writing wise that i'd consider and you you do things like that that like push that and then all of a sudden the you notice like oh the audience responds and they're more awake when you're mm-hmm. doing things like that and expanding their imagination that direction well so the third season of the show comes along and we're writing from scratch and i noticed like oh we're like now we're we're the the way we're expanding is with with time and like time jumps and edits and like using that to your advantage and and you know that's where you can really expand sketches is is like the the time the way that that you move through the sketch in time um and so you're starting to have you know shorter scenes more locations mm-hmm. and
0: yeah. Did you struggle to kind of capture kind of the the live energy in some of the sh- sketches?
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, we did a live episode mm-hmm. that was, like, great because there were sketches that we were like, this doesn't work on – this doesn't work at all. Uh, like – shot on tv and then to eventually have the idea of like hey we should do like just one episode where the audience is there mm. and get to do that that was really fun i think the one one decision that was funny that we made was there was a number of sketches going from like our show that to what we ended up with where we didn't reshoot them where we shot there, there's a sketch that I came up with the idea and shot within, like, a half hour that ended up on TV. Shot and (laughs) edited. Like, it was, like, a single shot thing. Uh, Did a couple takes. Like, got the timing down. Exported it within, like, a half hour. And then that, like, ended up on TV. It's, (laughs) like, such a weird idea that that would. But, like, yeah, with certain things we, like, wanted to, like, keep that, that kind of amateur feel and that energy and like we didn't want to like have to do a a copy of something we already did Mm. you know yeah yeah. and so yeah if you ever see or watching like the first two seasons of our show and be like oh that sketch looks horrible it's because we had no budget and we were just like a bunch of 24 year olds hanging out with a
0: video camera (laughs) Uh, how, how do you think, uh, some of your material will do today kind of in a more, uh, sensitive time, I guess. <laughs> uh, it's weird. It is weird. Cause I was say, I, I, I like a lot of wise kids, you know, and I actually don't, I don't, am not really offended by it. I mean, I guess like, I guess yeah. when I say offended, I mean, I don't even know what I mean by that. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it does feel like a lot of that just wouldn't fly today.
1: No, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we own the series now and, you know, we we keep thinking about putting it out. But also, like, there's this conversation that you have to have of, like, how do we do that? How do we do, you know, and you don't want to, like, rewrite history, but also you don't want to be received the wrong way and have anything seen as malicious and, you know, like. Have anyone think that like because you thought something was okay when you were twenty four means that you think it's okay when you're you know right. thirty eight? I'm thirty seven. I don't know. <laughs> add it year on, but yeah, uh, it's complicated. And but I think we're used to it because I think a lot of the stuff that we did, uh, the way we approached it, was like if it if it is sensitive. Let's just make sure we have a point of view on it and like make sure like let's have that be the thing we talk about the most and uh not to – you know, I, I do – you took my class. I yeah. do uh, a sketch writing class and I hate it when someone comes in with something that's sensitive and they have – a cavalier attitude about it. When they're like, whatever, this is me, right. whatever, screw it. It's like, no, like, edgy material's okay, but you want to be exact about what you're saying. If it's edgy, you want to be a scalpel, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you want to, like, uh, yeah, because you don't want people to to misinterpret what you're saying. Right and like i'd say even worse than offending people the the risk that you're running is like entertaining negative ideas that you don't intend Mm. you know that's like and that's happened to me before where someone's like oh i loved what you were saying with this thing and then like you're like no like for example like the hitler rap like it's the the it's a sketch we wrote when you know, Trevor wrote it. Not to throw, I'm not throwing Trevor over <laughs> the bus here, but I stood by it. And the whole fun of it is that it's like, well, what if Hitler came back and was more into rap than his previous ideas, right. and like had completely denounced his old self, but now he's back and rapping. And yeah, it's insensitive, but uh, <laughs> um, there's the fun thing about it is is this like oh it's a weird reality where where hitler is the ultimate bad boy right and he is denouncing his old ways and obviously we're not like trying i don't know but like (laughs) there have been people who are like oh yeah man hitler's cool and it's like no hitler's not cool that's not the point of it you know
0: that yeah that's that's like a thing that happens a lot nowadays, which sucks, yeah,
1: totally, and so you gotta be airtight with your with with your statements, mm-hmm. you know yeah um yeah, and uh i yeah I just i really it really irks me when people uh are just like whatever, no one's gonna think I'm a bad person, it's like no people. People think you're a bad person. Uh, and that's it. People don't want to laugh at people they don't like. Right. I think it's such an important thing. It's like people don't want to like think that someone's an asshole and be like, I mean, like there's people that are like funny in an y kind of way, but people don't want to be like, oh, that person's a bad person. Hey, I'm going to laugh at them. Right. Like that can really turn people off. Mm-hmm. And I think in the way comedy is all about like, you know, like. Giving people no excuse to not laugh at you. There's a double negative in there and I could have said that better, but you know. Uh yeah. Uh so the, yeah, but then also there are some sketches that I'm like that we wrote that I'm like, oh like the the fact that we said that's really cool. Mm. Uh yeah, we did a a, a gay football sketch. Where it's like, and now, back to the all-gay football league. (laughs) And it's like this, like the TV presentation of it is like, just like hunky dudes and like, it's like uh, that like dance music and like... and rainbows and and over the top, and then it cuts back to like the press conference, and the coach is like, "Yeah, I thought we played a really good game." Today. And, <laughs> and I look back, and I'm like, "I'm so glad that like that's one of the things we put out there because yeah. I think there's a, a clear statement there that, yeah,
0: what's uh, you're not fa- all bad guys. <laughs> Come on. What's your uh, what's your favorite sketch from that time?
1: uh well, my favorite thing we did is the Civil War on Drugs. Mm. I thought that was like so cool and weird. Uh, if if you if you haven't seen it, it's basically in the last season of the show. We decided to make a movie, and we shot like an eighty-minute movie uh, that is edited between all the last episodes of the last ten minutes of the episode. We wanted to do like a three-part miniseries, uh, and the network was like, no. <laughs> and uh, they, they're they like well, what we'll let you do is edit it to the last 10 minutes of every episode and uh, a lot of people have taken it and put it up on YouTube and it keeps getting taken down but uh, yeah I think it's cool I think it's really weird um, as like far as singular sketch I always really liked the this is a stupid one uh that's kind of like not one that people would think i would pick but the, uh there's one that it's a 911 call and the thing that the guy's describing is terminator 2 <laughs> and the operator goes like uh-huh like in terminator 2 and the guy's like i know the events that are happening sound a lot like the movie the terminator 2 <laughs> but this is actually happening and, and he can't get it across, like the 911 operator thinks it's a prank call yeah. and that's one I always like um, it's weird a sketch that no this is like a weird you know, thing but I think it's just like a weird thing it's like one of the sketches that I think I'm that yeah this isn't what you asked me but a sketch that I think I'm the best in and most proud of <laughs> uh, is not in the show, but uh, I didn't work on Miss March. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was all Zach and Trevor, but we made these promo videos for Miss March, and I love the promo video that we that I made for them, like that we all made together that that I was in, uh, and the, I think all three of them are really funny, but that. That's one of the things I'm I'm most proud of, which is we're it's not even on the DVD. It's on the <laughs> Blu-ray. Like Darren and Timmy's are on the DVD. And then the Blu-ray has all three of us. Like they left mine off the, the DVD. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah, uh I really like that. Uh yeah. Uh there, I it's one of those things where it's like every once in a while I look through a, a, a list of sketches and I'm like oh this one's a really fun one mm-hmm. and it's not like any is like by far my favorite uh, but they're like just like so many moments you can go back to and they're like mm-hmm. oh I'm proud of this proud of that uh, this is one I was thinking about? oh uh, the Tartos one is really weird it, it, I was ta- I was talking to Trevor and Zach about that one recently and I think that's like a really funny, weird sketch. Which one is that? It's there's a guy at uh, a kind of like Hollywood soirée, and there's uh, a kind of a, a caterer walking around and offers the guy pigs in a blanket, and he takes it and eats it. Mm-hmm. Then another guy comes by and he goes tart toast, <laughs> and then uh, the guy takes the tart toast and eats it, and he goes, "Oh, this is disgusting!" And he's like. Yeah, it's it's tar on toast. Did you eat that? (laughs) And it turns out the guy isn't a caterer. He just is a guy who walks around a party with tar toast. And the other guy's like, "Why are you dressed like that?" And he's like, "Why are you dressed like that?" Uh, It's fun. And it's these two guys arguing about who the asshole Mm -hmm. Uh, is—the guy who's bringing tar on toast around a party, or the guy who ate it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot, there, there's some good ones. Just, just, <laughs> check it out. Uh,
0: and you, you were working with, uh, some of your wise kids, you know, guys on a, a TV show of, uh, Stripes. Yeah. How did that come about?
1: Yeah. Uh, we, we found out that Ivan Ryman was looking to make Stripes into a TV show and we were like, Hey, Hey. Th- we could do this guys and uh we did it we ended up working with him and we wrote a pilot for CBS for it and it didn't end up going but uh it was like a really cool experience uh and um yeah we're still writing together and i think it's 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 one of those things where it's like i don't know i, I don't think we'd written anything in a little while like I, we'll go through stints where we just like haven't written together in a while mm-hmm the last thing we wrote before that is we wrote this Mars movie we wrote a script for a Mars movie that we keep on talking about getting made but it just hasn't gotten off the ground yet uh
0: like a Mars comedy yeah yeah, yeah that's it's like a,
1: a, a first people it's like kind of like a mix between SpaceX and uh, the colonization of Mars where it's mm-hmm. like someone wins a contest to <laughs> be the first people on Mars. Mm-hmm be one of the first people on Mars and it's like way crappier than they would think uh and uh so we wrote that and we kind of like nothing's happened with that yet and we so we got together and did this other thing and it's it's one of those things where it's like working on these two projects it's like if you if you want to if you want to get good at writing write with someone for 18 years (laughs) you'll realize there's there's something there if you can keep writing with them after 18 years and yeah it's it's fun because we can like there's three of us which is like i'm surprised after doing this i'm surprised you don't see more writing trios because i feel like there is some simplicity to like you know like making sure there's never a tie Hmm. And there's something about it that makes it, like, constantly move forward and, uh, you know, you having it be two people that you have faith in that, like, oh, well, if they both think this is the way it should be, maybe it should be that way. Right, right. Or, like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's a really fun writing uh, relationship there. Um, Really enjoy it. And I think it works really well. And... I'm really proud of the stuff that we're writing together, and uh, I hope some of it gets made soon. Uh, and but like until then, like I, it's like super fun that there's there's moments that like when you go to work and it's like you have like a long day at work and you're like, well, what did I do today? And you're like, well, I there was this one moment where I was laughing harder at this thing than I have at anything all year. Yeah. That's like pretty cool, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's work. It's also work, right? Right. It's also there's moments where it's like, oh, I wish I was playing video games. (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
0: With something like uh, with stripes, how do you like approach adapting a movie into like a a television show with all these episodes? Uh,
1: it's funny. I mean, like you kind of take you kind of look at like what it is, and you you think about like. You know, like, what is Stripes? It's, like, slackers in the military. And it's it's a, it's a weird thing because, like, I, I bet if our Stripes thing got made, there would have been, like, like a bunch of people who were just fans of the original that, like, were bummed out that, like... Because, right. like, we were doing it... Uh, one of our ideas was, like, hey, like, why not just have it be one guy going into the military and he meets everyone in the military because like two guys going in the military together is kind of like a weird thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you, it's a little harder to explain that kind of motivation, you know? And so, um, yeah, you kind of like have to look at like, what is this thing at its core? And then this is like, like as far as like dabbling in sitcom, uh, The the important thing, I mean, like, I think, like, you know, you have to have, like, a plot that people, like, can get easily. But, like, the most important thing, the thing that, like, is going to be 75% of your Bible are the characters. Like, that's the thing that people are going to come back for. It's like, you know, you... I think a lot of times when people are trying to come up with ideas for sitcoms and TV shows, they come up with these concepts that are like really overstated and long and convoluted. And it's like, well, maybe write a movie if, you, if you're if you really that mm. tied to the concept. But like really what uh, I feel like sitcoms are all about and you think of any sitcom and the thing you immediately think of are the characters and that's what shows live and die by yeah you know Mm -hmm. it's all about the audience's relationship with those
0: characters Mm
1: -hmm. so
0: yeah uh as you mentioned before you teach a sketch class of the pack how did that start
1: uh so eric was teaching these sketch classes Mm -hmm. in what was called Miles stroth workshops and uh eric Moneypenny, sorry uh who's a guy from uh the midnight show Uh, and he would ask me to come talk to his class and I would basically come and have this, if you took the last hour of our, of what you've just listened to at home, that was basically what I would do at his class. And, uh, I was, you know, kind of like looking for something to do in LA. And I was like, Hey, how'd you get into this? And he was like, do you want to teach a class? And it's like, sure. And I'd never taken a comedy class at that point. I'd, you know, I explained to you guys here how I got into sketch. Like, what the, that was the whole thing. Uh, you know, I took some screenwriting classes, and so um, I was kind of like, sure, and just kind of dove into a sketch program and, like, doing a class, and I've, uh, if you ever go and take my class the first class is a lot like the conversation <laughs> we're having right now but uh and I kind of like I try and model the stuff the way I approach it originally there was kind of this autobiographical idea that would like uh kind of tie it together but there is like it's very much like concepts that I picked up through through this whole thing and through through my experience of you know you kind of like try and take your creative growth and boil it down to something you can do over eight weeks with people you know Mm -hmm. try and think about the lessons that you've learned throughout your 18 years and boil it down to eight weeks you know has teaching has it made you a better writer you think i think it's made me better at writing good sketches oh interesting and I think great sketches happen. Uh, and that's like kind of my view on greatness in general. I think like uh, you got to let the game come to you. You know, like mm-hmm. you. Uh, I don't think people should ever strive to make great work, and they should. But like, I think what you do is you make something good, and you can work on it till it's great. And not everything can be great, but like you can definitely take something and recognize it and make something elevate it to greatness, you know? Uh, But yeah, you just have to start with something. But like, yeah, and I think that's the thing is like, I think uh, definitely like having to diagnose probably say like 15 sketches a week uh, and then like do that every you know like eight times in two months what's eight times six 48 Do oh, yeah. 48 times a year uh, it's like it's good practice in thinking and like structure mm-hmm. and like yeah and my whole thing with the sketch class and this isn't how it started out but like my I think the log line for the sketch class and the thing that I keep reminding people and the th- thing I keep trying to do with people is trying to help them to let the audience know what they find funny about their mm. idea. Cause you can't like, just like say that in the sketch where you're like, but right. like you can, you know, like, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of comedy. It's that like clarity of idea, you know, like, uh, it's like absurdity, but also, of the absurdity hmm. and uh i think that gets lost on people a lot of times and
0: um yeah what are like the most common pitfalls you see like in sketch sketchers in sketch class
1: um i think people think that uh don't see the difference between weird and random mm. I think that's a huge thing. It's like Interesting. People love being random. Yeah. I think also people think that because they thought of a joke means that it should go in what whatever they're writing. Mm. Uh, I often say that like like remind people that that like sketch writing you need to think of it as a marathon and not a foot race. That like I want people to be good at writing sketches, not write a good sketch because when you're thinking about writing a good sketch you'll throw everything you can in it like any you're like how do i make every inch of this funny when no you should be the sketch is all about an idea and certain things fit that idea and don't fit that idea and so at the end of the day make sure that that idea is is king you know like that that you Above all, you're expressing an idea and you can go places with that idea, and that idea can twist and turn, but things either fit that idea or don't fit that mm-hmm. idea. So uh if you're concentrating on like writing many sketches and you come up with a funny idea, you can go like, Oh, that doesn't fit this idea. I'll save it for another sketch. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. Um what else? so much oh <laughs> <laughs> the uh yeah I and and yeah i think people yeah i i really like believe in structure like and i think if you can get structure down then you can like get weird off of it but like you know too often people come into things and think like oh the old way is, is dumb and I'm going to change the game and it's like it's kind of lazy right? like I remember I used to I used to uh, or I play guitar I've always played guitar and I'm self taught And uh but I used to like listen to Sonic Youth and think like oh like this like noise rock stuff is really cool that they're doing and be like, "Well, instead of like learning to play guitar, I'm just going to sit there and hit the strings <laughs> in weird ways and make weird noises." And it's it was like a really lazy approach to learning how to play guitar, mm-hmm. and it came from a place of insecurity. And uh I think I would have been better off at that that at that period appreciating that, but also learning scales and right, stuff like yeah. that. And um yeah.
0: What would you uh, like to be doing next?
1: Um just mainly um, Buy a farm somewhere uh, <laughs> Hell for, yeah uh, No, I mean like I've been writing these, these Shows with Zach and Trevor And I the immediate Goal is selling one of those Shows and getting those seen by people Or if it's something More than a show, it'd be great uh, And like working with those guys And I think um, You know, we we own the shows, so it's the whitest kids' shows. So I want to get that out there eventually, and um, I think also we have a good report. Like we have a good idea of of good material and, and good work, and I think uh, what I really hope to do is that we can find some success and parlay that success into starting like a production company that like produces stuff that maybe stuff that we, we aren't ourselves making. Right. Uh, you know, aggregate some talent, you know, Mm um, is that the, that's the right word, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sorry. I'm kind of a dumb guy, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, you know that that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know um, that that's you know that's the that's the dream. <laughs> um, help help people get cool stuff made. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, um, I also have a show that I do live uh, called Biodome. Uh, I'd like to make that into a TV. I think it's a cool. Oh yeah, would be fun. Yeah. for a sketch show and talk to people about maybe pitching that around and uh, yeah. And um, I just like doing stuff, you know, yeah. like I like being in a room with people and coming up with ideas and, you know, hope I can do that forever. Mm-hmm. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. So you're going to, I just realized I didn't tell you this, but we're going to wrap up with you giving your thoughts on the sketch pitch I have. Oh, okay. I do this every episode. All right. But yeah, I forgot to tell you about this. So this is a sketch. <laughs> this is
1: just you like soliciting free advice. No, 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 <laughs> anyway.
0: no. Um. Okay, so it's the people in in a cult are are more more focused on the taste of the Kool Aid than the actual like cult stuff. So they're like, yeah, yeah, we all need to die to reach the prophecy. But is it going to be traditional fruit punch or blueberry or what, what? What we're what we're talking here, you know, sugary and stuff like that.
1: And then yeah, uh, I like it. I've seen a lot of cult sketch like a yeah. lot of drink the Kool-Aid sketches. That's, that's, fair. that's my only that's yeah. like uh I've seen this territory done a lot. Mm-hmm. But then again, what, what was the number we came up with? Like fifteen sketches forty eight days a year for the last right. five years. Right. So uh So the 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 cult leader's the straight man who's like, guys, yeah. let's just we're we're doing the cult and trying to uh, or actually, I think I've I've seen a very similar sketch done by uh-huh. Connor Hurley, who we both know. Oh, really? Where he's the guy in the cult who's like, hey, let's, you know, Kool-Aid's cool, but what about kombucha?
0: Oh, no. It, it,
1: that was one beat within the sketch. Right, right.
0: Uh, oh, I like that better.
1: Cool. Yeah. <laughs> damn. Where there's like, he's like complaining about the robes mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, I think Connor wrote that. He definitely played the the character Mm -hmm. um i mean it's it's a clear idea Mm -hmm. uh i i hate doing that like whole like premise police thing too i hate oh "Oh, there's another sketch that's like this actually (laughs) there's there's a sketch of everything (laughs) it's all been done yeah uh Where where do we go from we can't settle on the taste of the Kool-Aid? Yeah,
0: I guess. Yeah, I wasn't sure whether to go more specific still through the Kool-Aid or just go to, like, separate things. Yeah. I wonder
1: how much... Yeah, it's like, how much can we talk about Kool-Aid? Right. I mean, it is funny that, like, it's like, uh, isn't Kool-Aid like a kid's drink? Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh... You know, it's like I just don't like it. It's too sugary. <laughs> I'll have water. Is there poison in water? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh tragic though. Don't sound tragic. The, all those people died? Are you are you saying are you saying it's tragic?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's true.
1: I like this really like <laughs> slow, like a lot of air. <laughs> I know, right? In the end of it, the... <laughs> yeah,
0: kind of just like yeah. This podcast is dedicated to uh, Jonestown.
1: Jonestown, all the people, Jonestown.
0: Uh... Uh, anyway, anything you want, <laughs> anything you want to plug, anything you want to plug for uh, for the end of this.
1: <laughs> that was my
0: favorite moment. Of... I'm, I'm plugging that moment
1: right there, where we got all sad and talked about Jonestown and. I don't even know. I was only giving you a hard time. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. I think I'm. Yeah, if, uh, if you want to take sketch classes with me, you can check me out at Pack Theater in LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took them. They're uh, great. Yeah, he wrote that. I, sketch I wrote that Kool Aid pitch idea this
0: morning. Ten uh, seconds.
1: <laughs> um. I'm sorry about shooting down your Kool-Aid.
0: No, no, it's fine. Listen, I'll pull the veil back. I do every episode. I pitch a sketch, so often they're very bad. Okay, it
1: it wasn't bad. It was just—it's often
0: actually they're like a lot like this, where it's mathematically correct, but there's like kind of no oomph to it, I guess. I think also I've like I've worked with you before. Mm -hmm.
1: And like like I've had you in class, and I'm like, oh, Alan writes really good funny sketches, and I think this is below you. That I would right
0: I now. would spru- I would agree with you. All right, cool.
1: <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page. Uh, cool, yeah, yeah. Uh, check out my classes, uh, and yeah, I don't think I have any shows coming up. So yeah.
0: All right. this for coming on the show. <laughs>